When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a Thursday edition of the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo with Sean McAdam alongside. Third episode of the week on a busy week for the Red Sox, who officially named Craig Breslow as their chief baseball officer yesterday. The search is over, and the Red Sox have a former player and a World Series champion now in the big chair uh, to talk about him and some other topics, a former teammate of Craig Breslow is with us today. We're pleased to welcome Ryan Dempster, 16-year Major League veteran, 2013 Red Sox champion, uh, works for Marquee Sports, MLB Network, and your illustrious media career that's now going on, Ryan, and we appreciate you taking some time to join us today. Absolutely. No, great to be with you guys. So I'll start with uh, your former teammate. Uh, Craig Breslow is the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox, guy you've obviously known for a long time in a variety of capacities um what was just your first reaction to that news which i think uh seemed more likely over the last couple of weeks but at the beginning of the search was not the guy i think any of us would have uh would have maybe expected around here yeah I, I, I listen i think it's a great hire um i think he's incredibly smart as everyone knows uh you know he's intelligent knows knows the ins and outs of a lot of different aspects of the game how the how the business works um, thing I love about Brez a lot is he's a good listener, you know, and I think if you're going to be in that kind of position, you have to, a, you're going to have to listen to a lot of different things and how do you digest all that information? He was that way, you know, as a teammate, as you know, front office with the Cubs, I had a lot of conversations with them. I mean, I, I feel like he's hugely responsible for the pitching growth, the Cubs organization, which wasn't there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he played a huge part in that. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought the Red Sox did a great job, you know, obviously with hiring somebody, A, who's been a Boston Red Sox, which is pretty awesome. You know, an ex-player now is now the running baseball ops and, you know, a, a World Series champion. He played five years, uh, you know, in a Red Sox uniform. So, yeah, I, I think it's got a lot, a lot of upside and, and you know, they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think the people in Boston will like what he brings to the table. Often we hear when a guy, a former player, you know, ascends to the uh, managerial role, Alex Cora, an example, David Ross, another example, like this guy during his playing career seemed like a future manager. You hear that all the time and different guys are labeled that, you know, you can name current players right now who, who fit into that. You don't often hear 
this guy could be a future GM, a future president of baseball operations. Was that knowing Craig during his playing career? Was that something that you could have identified that 10 years later, he would be running a team in that way? Yeah, it was interesting. He never really talked about it a lot, but you know, as far as what he wanted to do on that end when we were playing together, but you know, he, he, he definitely, I mean, he was one of the smarter guys on the team intellectually, how he looked at things, um, you know, looked sometimes at the, at the side that wasn't being looked at, mm-hmm. whether that came to pitchers meetings and attacking hitters and what we needed to do or what he might've saw. Um, you know, he had a really, our one year together, he had a great year in Boston and then didn't give up a run until the world series in the playoffs. He was a huge reason for our success. And, right. um, yeah, I, I could, when he got into the front office with the Cubs, I'm like, yeah, that's a no brainer. The guy's smart. He, he um, is a great conversationalist. So, you know, he's engaged with you when you're having conversations. Um, he understands baseball and winning, you know, to be on a team like that and understand what it takes, right? Like sometimes this isn't a knock when we hire people that never played the game. I understand that, but there's always going to be this little tiny piece missing mm-hmm. to truly have, empathy or understanding for that um so they got to gain that through conversation or experience or whatever it is craig has that and um you know he did little things like you know stuff like we were doing our our player share meetings in baltimore i'll, I'll never forget that and he's like we should donate a share to charity you, you want a charity you want it donated we'll split it up evenly you know we should donate a, a share to the minor league staff like things like that he's thinking like i mean kind of outside of where everybody else is thinking you know baseball 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 it's like yeah there's other aspects to it that kind of encompass it all and he sees that he understands that and the experience he's got over the past few years i think prepared him for this job Ryan, in your job as an analyst for a Marquee Network, the, the Cubs uh, Regional Sports Network, you're around Wrigley all the time. You uh, you made mention of the impact that Craig has already had on the team's pitching development. Um, he's been there a little bit more than three and a half years or so. Um, so it's going to take longer to maybe see some of the fruits of the labor with guys coming up through the system. But um, talk to us, if you would, about what you've seen at the major league level that you think can be traced to Craig's influence so far? Yeah. Like, you know, like, like I said, for a long time, I mean, if you look at it, there wasn't a pitcher that came up from the minor leagues and made any kind of impact. You know, if it was, it was maybe a reliever, there wasn't a starter. Um, And then this year you had multiple guys who do that, you know, Jordan Wicks, a young rookie. Yes. A first rounder, of course, but we hear lots of first rounders who don't get developed the right way. They don't come up and have any kind of impact and, you know, they don't stay healthy. I think that's one thing that was, you know, extremely evident too, was the health of the overall minor league system and how guys, you know, were able to stay healthy. I think Craig being a former guy, a guy who dealt with his own injuries, you know, having an understanding of that really helped. Um, you know, obviously Hayden Wisniewski, but, you know, he was in a trade that came over and made a direct impact, but that a lot of that's the pieces in place, the people that were in place along with them as well. Um, you know, the, the ability to do that, Justin Steele coming up, you know, like these guys, these are, these are now arms in a rotation for an organization that look at it from, for a long time, from my days playing there, there wasn't a lot of them. It was always a free agent pitcher. It was somebody else. It, it was like, where's these arms? And now there's more too in the minor leagues. And you, if you sit there and try and figure out, well, why is it just because you drafted a bunch of pitchers? Sure. You got to develop them. I played with tons of guys in the minor leagues that didn't pan out to be big league baseball players because they weren't developed the right way. I think if you look at it, his arrival into the organization, helping, you know, lead that kind of charge, vice president of pitching development, 
the plan they put in place, you can't argue with the results. You know, you got two guys in your rotation now in Steele and Wicks who, you know, have a chance. I mean, Justin Steele's top three in, in Cy Young this year and Jordan Wicks, what a rookie debut he had and, and what he's been able to do. So you can't argue with success, right, when guys come up and they're proving it. And then you got guys, Ben Brown, you got other guys down in the minor leagues who are developing as well. Now you put this infrastructure in place where a guy goes down, they come up. And I think Craig played a massive role in all of that. You, you talked a couple of minutes ago about, you know, there are a lot of qualified people in the game who didn't play it, uh, who are now serving in important roles. Craig obviously played for 12 years. Um, I'm wondering from a player's perspective, what what will it be like to have a former player as the president of baseball ops? How does that maybe change the dynamic in the clubhouse? Does he get more immediate buy-in because players recognize, hey, th this guy's been in my shoes. He's been traded. He's bounced around in free agency. He's made a team out of spring training. All those experiences that most players go through, uh, Craig Breslow went through. D does that give him an immediate credibility in the clubhouse as a bridge to those players? I think it does. I think it gives, you know, a little bit of credibility without even him even have a conversation with somebody yet. And I think the more conversations he has, then that just continues to take place. You know, sometimes as players, especially in today's game, right, the days of, you know, here's your players to the manager and the manager makes the lineup and the players go play and there's no conversations with the front office. Those are over. There's a lot of continuity now. There's a lot of conversations that happen front office speaking to premier players on the team. What do we need? What do you think we could have? So when you have those, you feel heard and you feel like there's an understanding. And I think, you know, that's like I mentioned that he's an amazing listener. I think that's a powerful thing to have. You know, he he might not have all the answers and he's going to find out what they are. And I think being in those shoes now when he makes decisions, I think there is a little bit of that, whether whether it's subconsciously or whatever it is, guys immediately have a little bit more of like, well, I mean, he understands he played, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that somebody in position that hasn't played can't pull those off too and those usually happen because those people are really good at communicating with the players you know like the guy who was in boston and then in chicago before brez theo you know i mean look what he did those are conversations because he listens to the players and, and understands and truly had a, a unique gift for that ability to understand what the players want and i think craig has that and he was a player so i think he has it in twofold and then he's got to just go out there and execute it and and not be afraid to you know make the the tough choice sometimes, right? The go out on a, on a, on a limb for something every once in a while. Cause when, especially when you're playing in a town in a city like Boston with that fan base, playing it safe doesn't always work. You know, you got to go out there and, and make a stand and say, this is what we're trying to do for the Boston Red Sox. And, and I, and I feel like, you know, he's, he's built for this moment. It's, it's pretty awesome. And I'm, I'm super happy for him. Do you think Ryan, that this is going to be a trend in the game. I mean, for a long time, it was Jerry DePoto as I think the only player who, a former player who was in the GM chair, now Chris Young's success, and we'll touch on the Rangers a little bit later, but uh, Chris Getz just got hired in Chicago. You have a couple of up-and-coming guys. Um, Sam Fold and Brandon Gomes played their GMs elsewhere. They were mentioned as, as potential fits in this search. Do you feel like, you know, maybe Chris Young's success and, and some of these these guys emerging um, is going to make it so that the player-turned-GM is more frequent? I do. I think um, 
you know, there was there was always this stigma. And I think what's evolved over the years was before it was they didn't have special assistant to this person, special. Like I know personally, like Theo brought me over as a special assistant in 2014 and that winter going into 2015. Listen, did I get involved in baseball operation stuff on a day to day basis? No, but I listened a lot. I learned a lot. You know, now you have highly educated people. You mentioned Chris Young and guy, I mean, the guy went to Princeton, you know, he's Ivy League educated, played in the big leagues for a long time and and took on that assistant role, the special assistant learning, learning how do things operate? What do we need to do here? How do you have six su- sustained success? So and then you have that, you know, that ability to what, what's the hardest thing in all the analytic world to to sit there and, and uh, compute heart rate right when you have somebody who's been in it and can understand the heart rate and how you have to go through that it almost makes that a little bit quantifiable in a way and so i think you know having ex-players who've been down that road who are educated who are smart and can tackle it i think we're going to see more and more of it yeah you touched on this a little bit but when you think back to especially 2013 room full of stars uh, a room full of really good players future hall of famers in some cases guys who had had success elsewhere uh Craig Breslow, kind of an unsung hero on that team, a really good year, a really good postseason. Um, what do you remember about just his role and then just how, you know, his his personality? You talked about the playoff shares and things like that, but um, what he was like during that run. Yeah, he. I mean, you know, he's a genuinely like we had such an overpowering clubhouse when you have guys like Johnny Gomes and you know, Lackey and myself and, you know, uh, David Ross, and you have this locker room of guys who aren't afraid to talk a lot and kind of carry that load that, you know, Brez, you know, didn't need to be that kind of vocal leader, but he sure was a leader in the bullpen, a leader to getting those guys ready, guys like Tazawa and, and those things and, and having that opportunity to, to do that where he, he led by example that way, led in pitching meetings, um, you know, did what he needed to do um, to get ready to go out there and pitch every day and come up in big situations um, in the playoffs. And we, we would always joke, we're like, is Brez like the sneaky funniest guy on the team? Cause like he wouldn't say anything, you know? So it was like, always like really like kind of, you know, quiet, but then, you know, always cracking jokes, always having fun, always out to every team, ne- never going to miss a team dinner, never going to miss, you know, a team hang, whatever it was, um, you know, and then just on top of it, like I said, you know, the run he went on in the playoffs was, you know, was unbelievable and helped us get to the World Series and 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 win a World Series. Uh, you know, the ability to go him and Tazawa to, you know, to Koji in the back end of the bullpen. I mean, that was a pretty much we were leading after six innings that you're winning the game. So, yeah, he was a valuable, valuable piece and, and a huge you know part of that success and, and also a, a great teammate. That team um, was uh, had its 10th anniversary reunion at Fenway earlier this year. You were part of that um, because of what that team went through with the marathon day bombing and sort of acting as a healing agent and some and a group of guys who could unite the city and the region around that tragedy. Is there a beyond the fact that you wanted it all? Is there a special bond? between those 2013 teammates, Ryan? Yeah. I've had, I played 16 years in the major leagues, 20 years of professional baseball. And I'm, we still have group text messages that go out together and just like, like to have fun. And every time we see each other, it's like an instant attraction. That mo that weekend was so special, you know, uh, 
um, you know, to see how the city embraced us and, and how we just love the city back. All those teammates, you know, you run into the guys and it's an instant hug and a smile. Um, it's almost like, you know, it's never where you've been. It's how you've been. It's, it's uh, pretty unique. There, it'd be hard pressed to find a lot of places like that, you know, and not even here in Chicago with the 2016 team. I think that 2013 team truly set apart from a lot of teams that won a World Series. We all got along. That moment after that bombing, we went to Cleveland and we all went to dinner to try and figure out what we could do as a ball club. Everybody showed up and everybody was there. And that was the motto the rest of the year. Everybody showed up. They showed up for each other. The fans showed up for us. We showed up for them. So I think that will always be there, you know, and it will always mean a little something special. I said I played one year there. I feel like I played 10 years in a Red Sox uniform. I played one season. Those bonds with those guys, I see somebody and it's not like, oh, hey, how are you? It's like, how do we fit in lunch? How do we go have coffee and sit down and, and BS for a little while? And it, and it's truly unique. It's, and it will always be that way for us, you know. We'll always be bonded that way together. The love we had for each other because of what happened, right? We defended each other. We defended a city. Um, the way everybody rallied around each other was was pretty pretty unique, and I honestly feel like once in a lifetime. You, you have the unique perspective of having played for two legacy franchises, among others, the Cubs and the Red Sox. What? How would you compare those two experiences? The the ballparks, the fan base, the history, the misery that finally got wiped out uh, in 2013, and then three years later on the north side. Um, how would you explain to someone how different and how similar it is to be a member of the Red Sox and a member of the Cubs? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'll start with a little bit from a different standpoint. There's a, a little bit more of a tenacity in Boston from the fan base, pitch to pitch, you know, the every day we, you know, we got to win this game. Um, if, Wrigley, you know, for the longest time, you need 108 years of not winning. It became accustomed to lovable losers. And there was a little bit more of Wrigley feels a fun place to go watch a ball game. You know, it, it is. It truly is an amazing place to go watch a ball game. I can't really say there's a better thing than going sitting in the bleachers with a beer and a hot dog and on a summer day and watching the game. It's it's remarkable. That being said, both fan bases are, are equally as impressive. The way they show up for their team. I mean, you're talking generations, right? Grandfathers who love the Red Sox to the pass it down to their son, you know, to their grandson, to the great grandson, whatever it is. This is this is family love for a, a team at both places. So and, and a lot of those similar stories when you hear people talk and the Red Sox happen to break that curse at 86 years. It took the Cubs, you know, 108. But the love for their for their club, the support for their team, even in the toughest of times, I think are very, very similar. And and, you know, to me, I felt like comparing them, people would always say, what was better? And I'm like, no, they're just both unique in their own right. They they feel different when you're at them, um, but they're both special. There's just a, there's a little bit of an edge in Boston that, you know. As a little bit, you know, you always talk about the niceness of the Midwest sometimes, and it rings true. You know, ah, tough game, we'll get them tomorrow. And Boston's like, tough game, get them off the team, ship them somewhere else, you know. And it, I kind of appreciated that a little bit. It was a lot of fun. We'll close out with a couple of uh, kind of broader things. First one, uh, I don't think the World Series anybody could have uh, predicted here. And uh, some talk about, you know, Diamondbacks going on this run and, and the Rangers, a mercurial team during the season. But just your thoughts on this matchup and uh, your prediction, if you have one, for who's going to win. <laughs> uh, thoughts are, I, I actually really love this matchup. You know, I, I look at it 
you know, I can appreciate what Arizona is doing because nobody, I felt the same way in 2013. Nobody thought we were going to do that. So there's that little bit of us against, you know, the world that got obviously magnified with what went on there. But, you know, Tori said it, you know, a, a team that's united like that and a team that is connected like that, they're really hard to beat, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm thrilled for them and I'm thrilled for Mike Hazen and, and these guys that have gone there and everything Hayes has had to go through for the past couple of years with family wise to have this moment good for him and 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 i think they're going to be tough to beat and texas you know like i mean i got drafted by the texas rangers you know i had a chance to go back there and play it's a great place to play there the way they treat you is first class so you're talking two first class organizations here yeah are they the big huge fan bases that we're used to seeing the red sox or cubs or yankees or dodgers no but that's what's the beauty about baseball man is there's 30 teams you don't know who the two are going to be you can write it all of the predictions we want in the world in april or you know spring training we don't know and, and it's, a, it's a marathon. It's a grind. It's 162 plus 30 spring training games. Plus, you got to make the playoffs. And then you got to get through all that. You know, and I'm tired of the, oh, well, the wild card team's hot. Cool. Play better. Don't win your division then. Try that out next year. Try not winning your division and do that. Like, that's that's just an excuse. It's a, it's all that is. Winners make solutions. They don't make excuses. And so I, I just, I'm loving this. You know, I, I said it the other day um, for those who are, oh, I'm not going to watch. It's not teams I'm interested in then you're going to miss some really good baseball by two really good teams. And you're going to see some come out parties of some young players that we haven't heard about before. And, and we're already seeing that. And I think that's just, you know, really awesome to, to show the parody in the game of baseball. Sure. You have your top teams, you have your bottom teams, but in the middle, there's a lot of teams you can beat anybody on any given day. And if they get hot, you know, watch out. So predictions, I think it's going to go seven games. That's all I'll give you. I don't know who's going to win it, but I think it's going to go seven. Uh, another series earlier this week that went seven games, Texas and Houston and ALCS. It now looks like that was the final game of Dusty Baker's managerial career. You played for him. I know you have some thoughts about what that was like and some thoughts about his pending retirement. Yeah, you know, playing for him was, for me, it was awesome. I mean, the opportunity, I came over hurt in 04. Um, he was always really great with me. You know, I was coming back from Tommy John sitting on the bench next to him all the time. And it was just constantly always just treating me so well and having conversations and we got to know each other personally. And then you started to realize that's what he cared about. You know, I always say this when, when we retire and baseball stops, they don't stop playing the games. I don't care who you are. Best players in the world retire the next day they play a game. It, it just keeps moving. What kind of relationships do you have when the game's over? What kind of friendships have you made? And Dusty's made a lot of them, and not just in baseball. You look at his relationships with presidents of the United States, the rock stars. I mean, the dude smoked a joint with Jimi Hendrix, you know? I mean, go down the line. He invented the high five out in L.A. I mean, he, as a player, he won a World Series. He won a rookie of the year. And then as a manager, he cared about you as a person. Call, he never called me up to the office to ask me about pitching. He called me up to make sure mom and dad were doing good. How's everything at home? Those are the kind of things that I, that, that for me, I respected, you know, cause that to me is more important than, than anything. And so, you know, to see what he was able to do to come back and manage that team, a team that needed somebody like that to overcome a lot of, a lot of booze and a lot of, you know, things that they deserved, you know, they did it, they had to wear it, but he was the right man for the job at the time and to win a world series. I knew he was going to come back one more year because he wanted to defend that and have that opportunity and, and rightfully so, 
But he doesn't need to prove a single thing in this game anymore. He's going to be in Cooperstown one day, and I'm super happy for him, and congratulations to him and his unbelievable career. And now he can go play with his grandkids, hunt with his dogs, go sit there on his vineyard and enjoy some fine wine and whatever else he wants to do. Well, I think on that note, Ryan, we appreciate you coming on the Fenway Rundown. And I will give your phone and the service area you're in all the credit in the world because for the Wi-Fi or the LTE to hold on in the car this well for 30 minutes is, is super impressive, but we appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. It's great to be on with you guys. Thanks, John. Thanks, Chris. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.